a man. So my children haven't seen Little Mermaid because it huh. honestly made me a little uncomfortable. And I love that movie. But I was like, yeah, no, especially my daughter. I don't want her to have that sure. message. You yeah, know? 100%. 100%. These are all the conversations of a constantly shifting a society. Yes. And, yes. and hopefully shifting toward the better. Yes. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast, follow us on social media, and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Pickerson, at hopepickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D R D E R Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefuzzershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and KBOO Portland. Welcome to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. Tonight we are talking with trans advocate and a motivational speaker, Tony Ferriolo. Tony, welcome to Transpositive. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here, for sure. Great. It's such a treat to have you on. Uh, so, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, I'm an out trans man who transitioned in 2005. And in 2005, coming from, I live in Connecticut, I didn't know any trans people, and it was a very hard um, journey to try to figure out how do I navigate um, what I needed for my transition, which for me, it was medical intervention. Um, so in Connecticut, nobody can help me, so I actually had to get on a train and go to New York to get to seek help from the center there. But after I transitioned, my first thing that I needed and I always want to emphasize that, you know, being trans and our transition is not a one size fits all. Every single one of us needs something different. So this is my story, but I really needed top surgery first. After my top surgery, I can tell you, Emma, that my life began. Like prior to that surgery, my daily decision was, did I want to live the next day? I was suicidal. Um, and after my top surgery, I couldn't wait until tomorrow like there was that profound of a difference. When I felt that difference, something said to, in, in my head, I was like, wait, there's gotta be kids in Connecticut that don't know anybody. Because if I didn't know any trans people, certainly they wouldn't know any trans people. So once I really got my myself together and I really started healing myself because you know the physical part of transition for me was great. But I also had to start working on the damage, emotional damage that happened to me through my journey, in order for me to be completely happy, I couldn't ignore that stuff. So in 2008, I started support groups in New Haven for trans teens. They're still running strong. We've helped over 2,000, easy, 2,000 families throughout the, throughout the country now. And there's um, a group for little kids. It's an art group for kids that are under um, 10 years old. There's a preteen group. Uh, there's a teen group. And then there's a parent group. So, and that's what I, I pride the most, most on. And, and now what I'm super excited about that just happened about a year and a half ago, because I was doing all this work part-time. I was working full-time as a manufacturing manager and doing all this work for trans youth and their families on vacation days and training places on you know personal time and, and all this stuff. Healthcare Advocates International approached me about a, a year and a half ago and asked me if I would direct their, their new LGBTQ youth and family program. Talk about a dream job. 
and talk about full circle for me because I am sitting in, with an organization that is totally compassionate for everyone, LGBTQ plus or not, right? So I'm really in a very safe place, safe environment. Um, I'm an, also an artist and I, and I really, that's what, with the young kids, that's what I, right, why I created an art group because for me, the art group was in my mind, create, don't cut, right? To give them a, an environment where they can sit with other children that are like them and draw their emotions if they, if they had them. And from that group came uh, my book series, Artistic Expressions of Transgender Youth, uh, which has two volumes. Volume three should be out next year. So it's all good work. Um, and I'm super excited that I'm, I'm, I'm able to create, and healthcare advocates, we're able to create a safe space to, to help people who are suffering through their journey. Great, thank you so much. Um, so I'd like to get into talking about trans kids, but before I do, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share your transition story with our audience. Yeah, yeah, so again, like uh, I, was, I was pretty, I was older um, when I realized I was trans. I, I was, I'm, I'm gonna be 60 in December, which I'm pretty proud of. I wasn't two months ago, but I was like, hey, what's the alternative <laughs> of turning 60, right? Um, so when I transitioned, I was, I realized in my 30s, late 30s, that I was trans. I didn't, there was no verbiage for me. I didn't know, again, I didn't know any trans people. And I was in a band, I, I, I identified as a lesbian prior to transitioning. Um, and I was in a band and the, and the leader of the band, the, the, she said to me, Tone, um, I'm gonna come over, I got some videos I want you to, to watch. And I said, sure. So she walks into my apartment and she says, it's trans night and I had no clue what she was talking about. She puts in a video of a documentary called Gender Knots. And there was a scene in that video where there was about three or four um, trans guys on a beach and they unbuttoned, one guy unbuttoned his shirt and he said, I have, and opens it up and says, hey, look at me, I got my top surgery. And I was like, oh my God, I, from that second, I remember sitting back saying, oh my God, I'm trans. That's, that's now I know it. And, and everything made sense. Everything about my body dysphoria made sense. Everything made sense. I was super excited for about a day. And then I went into a deep depression because I could not imagine being happy as a trans person. The only thing I knew about trans people was that they were getting beaten, they were being thrown out of their homes, they weren't happy, they were committing suicide, they were getting killed. I could not imagine being trans and being happy and being productive. So I went down to a beach, local beach here, and with all the attentions that day to kill myself. I didn't wanna die, but I couldn't imagine living a life that it, now that I know I'm trans, right? Now that I knew I, I, I was trans, if I didn't transition, it would have been hell. And if I did transition, I felt that it would have been hell. So to me, I didn't have a choice. Sitting on this park bench, looking out at the water and something said to me, and it was, I can hear it said, stop, create yourself. Stop, create yourself. And it kept saying that. And I finally said to myself, wait a minute, I could create the person I've always wanted to be. Like I can be that person. And there was a, I wish I could bottle this feeling, honestly. And I, I get emotional when I talk about it because I was so close to ending my life. But when I realized I, I could take my power back that I can, I can believe in myself and I can take steps to create Tony. So I started thinking about what Tony would physically look like. Cause I'm always, I'm always, and have always been about visualization. And I said, oh, it's gonna be a cool tattooed guy, you know, goatee, bald. Well, maybe not bald. I didn't think that then, but I'm gonna throw it in now. Um, but then I went a little bit deeper. What was what was Tony gonna feel like? Like I didn't want to be angry anymore. I didn't want to be depressed. I didn't want to have suicidal ideations all the time. I didn't want to self-harm. How was he gonna feel? And the way I felt, the best way for me to describe it, Emma, is Tony, my energy just from standing in front of you was gonna make you smile. That's who I wanted to become. I wanted to become somebody who was what was like um, that helped people and stuff like that. So I baby stepped it, very, very baby stepped it, especially the emotional work. I worked a lot with, with reading self-help stuff like by Tara Brock and Brene Brown, super fans of them. They really, really have helped me through this journey. I, I start, start out therapy and um, listen, I'm, I'm a certified life coach and my certified, when I went through my certification as a life coach, that shifted me big time. 
really big time. So when it came to the part of being Tony, you know, it, it's funny because I, I'm a true believer that no matter what has happened to me in the past, it's a blueprint of every, I am a blueprint sitting here in front of you today, everything that's ever happened to me, good or bad. So I can't say, I wish that never happened. I can't say, I wish the self-harm didn't happen. The sexual abuse didn't happen. Bunch of stuff happened to me in my journey. Because when I'm sitting with an 11 year old in a pediatric psych hospital and they have their head down and they say to me, but you don't understand, I cut myself. I'm able to say, I do understand. You see, I feel like my journey and the journey that I was given as hard as it was set me up to do the work that I do today. So that's Thank my- you. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now I'd like to talk, um, I'd like to begin talking about the work that you do with transgender youth. And I'd like to start first with kind of a broad pan. Um, can you just talk about uh, the ways in which you advocate and support transgender youth in your own educational work? Yeah. So, you know, when I said, like, like I started thinking about kids in 2008, I started a support group in New Haven, Connecticut for trans teens. That was it. It was only for trans kids, uh, teenagers. Uh, first group, two kids showed up. Second, third, fourth group, nobody showed up. But I kept, I knew they needed this, okay? Then then they started coming. People started talking about this really cute, cute, uh, trans guy, well, maybe they didn't say cute, I'm throwing it in, but this, this this really cool trans guy in New Haven that's doing this work. Nobody was doing the work for trans kids. So as people got to know me with the teenagers, now the state was calling me, organizations were calling me saying, you know, we have kids that are six, we have kids that are five and, you know, seven, what can you do? And that's when I started the art group. And then I said to the parents who were sitting outside in their car, gee, you might all need to talk. Why don't you come on in? I'll get you a room in the building. So that's when Transpact, uh, the, uh, the parents' group started. When I started the groups, I heard the suffering that these children were going through. I heard it in two in two spaces specifically: schools and health providers. Okay, so I right away became a vehicle for their voice, and my biggest biggest thing is to is to educate through kindness to meet people where they are and bring them up to where they need to be, right? So I've been training schools. Um, I was training schools with my own consulting business up until uh, about a year and a half ago. And then that business went over to the youth and family program from healthcare advocates. I still have a consulting company where I, where, where I train hospitals and stuff like that. It is super important that organizations know that diversity happens and inclusion is a choice. And most people will choose inclusiveness if they understand it, right? So in a broad sense, those groups have really helped me, um, you know, educate people who might not have met a trans person before, you know, or might not know that it's th that they're suffering. And a lot of times I'll get misconceptions about this community. And one of the biggest misconceptions is that children are too young to know that they are transgender or non-binary. That is not true. And when I explain to them why it's not true, you know, like everybody in the world around four or five starts, you know, kind of connecting with their gender identity. Trans kids are no different. What we do know is that if we don't honor them, that they will be part of the 51% who attempt suicide, right? That our role as adults in their lives is to guide them down a, a, a path of happiness and minimize those damaging emotional roadblocks that happen when a trans, any LGBTQ kid is loved and honored before they come out and after they come out, they're not. That is so dangerous. And that's what I try to prevent from the trainings that we're doing, you know? So that's kind of like that. And, and, and with the trainings, I do use the pictures and the drawings from, from uh, two of my books because they're very powerful. We can talk about the suffering that trans kids are going through, but when you see it, their drawings and, and through their words, it really makes people say, whoa, what am I doing? Because we have to understand that no matter if you're five or 95, if you're suffering, you know what you need to feel better. You know, I just spoke to a kid last week, 11 years old, sitting in a psych hospital, attempted suicide, attempted suicide at 11 years old. I said to them after they stopped crying and you know, and what I don't say to kids that are crying is 
don't cry, it's gonna be okay. I just hold space for them. And I try to send them as much calming and loving energy from my heart that I can. When I was able to say something to this child, I said to them, I'm sorry you're suffering, I'm here for you, what do you need? The difference between me and a lot of adults that work with children is when they tell me what they need, I believe them. I believe them, right? I don't care if they're five, I don't care if they're six or seven or 11, they know what they need. This kid needed a binder, um, to, and a binder is a garment that holds the, your chest in, so it makes it look more masculine. So we got him a binder, healthcare advocates, we got him a binder. You know, he was released from the hospital yesterday, and now I'm gonna be talking to the school to try to make the school make this kid feel like they belong in this middle school. The sense of belonging can save a child. So what are some misconceptions, Tony, that people often approach you with or ask you um, either for themselves, if they're trans kids, or as most especially parents and, um, you know, people who care for trans kids. What are some misconceptions that people often have about trans kids? Sure. I think the biggest one is that, you know, we're going to be performing surgery on five-year-olds um, or giving hormones to three-year-olds. That's not how it works. So the medical intervention part of it, and, you know, like, like the, the puberty blockers that some kids need, it's not all, um, but some children who are trans and even non-binary might need um, hormone blockers. The parents are like, how can I mutilate my kid's body like that? What they don't understand, and, and healthcare advocates, we offer this workshop called From Fair to Acceptance, which explains all of this um, to parents, is that puberty blockers have been used since the 1980s on cisgender, non-trans kids if they were going through an early puberty. Right, so, so there's a lot of misconceptions about the medical stuff. But the biggest one I think is, oh, it's a phase, they're gonna get, it's, it's just a phase, it's just a phase. You know, oh, you know, they told me they wanted to play football and then they changed it to baseball. And, then, and, and it is not the same as an activity. This is their gender identity. So, so it being a phase is a big deal, right? And what I say to parents on that is, nobody's asking you to commit to medical intervention right now but social transition, which is, you know, changing the name and pronoun and, and letting them dress the way they want, cut their hair, grow their hair, even if these children feel like they're moving forward in their transition at a snail's pace, we're gonna save them. We're gonna save them, right? So those are, I believe, are the two biggest misconceptions when it comes to um, parents because they're not knowledgeable about medical intervention and they and I make sure that we do educate them on that, and then also it being a, a phase, right? So um, just kind of going into some of the social criticism that we've received um, in the trans community, what do we? How do we respond to people who label us as groomers? How do we respond to that label? Yeah, well, you know, in all well, not in all seriousness. A lot of times, people. I mean, I get death threats. I get people saying, telling me that you know, what are you doing? You're a child molester, you're this, you're this, you're this, you know, and I'm not grooming anyone. I'm saving them. I'm saving them, right? I think the people that are saying that we're grooming kids aren't sitting in hospitals with 11 year olds that just try to kill themselves. They're not listening to these parents crying about, I'm doing everything for my kid, but my kid still wants to kill themselves because they see the world as, as people that, how can I live in a world where people hate me? It's awful, it's awful. So when somebody says to me, you're grooming these kids, I'm, I'm like, I'm absolutely not grooming anyone. What I'm doing them is giving them a space to be themselves, right? So that hopefully we'll, they'll, they'll live a productive life. So um, thank you. And another one that we get a little bit, I mean, we actually, it's kind of interesting because this is one that we get from both sides from, so from parents who don't really understand that much about transgender issues. And this is all kind of new information to them. There's this 
um, meme that's been circulating around right-wing circles, basically saying that this is a, um, I can't remember exactly how they say it. They, they say that it's like, it's a fad or it's like some sort of, um, you yeah. know, uh, like the, the people are doing it because it's the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then coming from the queer community, um, I mean, there's also people within the lesbian community specifically who are saying that like, you know, we're really kind of denying womanhood. Like we're we're not understanding that um, a lot of people who we think are trans are really just, you know, they're, they're lesbians and uh, that we're kind of forcing them into some sort of a trans box. Yeah. And, you know, these are these are complicated arguments that people make that involve, you know, issues like social media and sexual orientation and gender identity. How do we have these conversations with people where we're able to kind of explain, you know, no, that's not what's going on. We're, yeah. th- this is for people who are authentically transgender. Yeah, so so I, let's address the first one. It's, it's a phase, it's a fad, everybody's doing it. Well, the reason why more people are, are transitioning today than they did when I transitioned is because they feel safe enough to do it, right? There, there's people saying, hey, you know, if you're trans, we can take care of you. And they can see it because there's the jazz, jazz, um, jazz Jennings is a big deal, right? So there's people in, in like, um, in the movies and on and social media that are saying I'm trans, they're putting a word to it. Okay. So that's why we have more people who are coming out and even at a younger age. Now, I, I gotta be honest, when I transitioned, I was, I, I told you identified as a lesbian, but I was also a club promoter. So I would hold huge parties. I mean, three, 400 women, right? So I was very well known, very well known in the tri-state area as, as a lesbian club promoter. I transitioned and a lot of that community turned their backs on me. They said I was walking away from the community. I wasn't trans. I was mutilating my body and stuff like that. What I tell people, and even when I'm training a lot, I, I, I say this, I'll never know what it's like to be cisgender. Okay, I'll never know what it's like to be born in a body that matches my gender identity, but I still honor that cisgender people exist, okay? If you're a cisgender person, this is what I always get from, from cisgender people. Well, I don't get it. Listen, I was born a guy and I'm a guy. How the heck can I be a woman? I was born a guy, I have a penis, right? So I'm a guy and how can people like think they're both or neither? What the hell does that mean? You will never understand it. And let's explain that there's a difference between sex assigned at birth and gender identity, right? That there's no connection between genitalia and brain. When, when you're born, a stranger looks at your body and they guess what your gender identity is gonna be. And then when baby gets old enough, they tell the adults if they guessed right or not. There's no connection. And for cisgender people that might be listening, I'll give you a really cool example of this. If you're a cisgender man, so not trans man, but a cisgender man born uh, with a sex assigned at birth as male and identifies as male, and you're in a car accident or had cancer and they had to remove your penis, it happens to people. Would you wake up from that surgery of being a woman? Would you wake up from that surgery not being any? No, you would still be a man because your gender identity is in your brain. That's why we can't say, because you don't have that, you're not that. So there's a lot of things that I calmly and kindly, when I'm faced with those questions, um, explain to people. I really try to meet people where they are. Now the haters, I ignore. People are telling me that they're gonna kill me. People are telling, I just ignore that. I don't, I don't respond, I just ignore. I know the people who are, um, who are able to kind of shift a little bit just by the way they're asking the questions and I know the people who are set in their ways either because of their core values or because of religious beliefs. So when we're training schools and we're training hospitals, we say to people, um, if you can't separate your personal values from your professional values, then you need to find another job. Because if you're in a school setting, every child deserves to feel like they have a sense of belonging, trans or not, right? Um, so switching gears, can you talk, Tony, um, a little about how art helps trans kids um, with kind of exploring and understanding themselves and, you know, maybe how it helps relieve, relieve the anxiety and a lot of the stress that comes with 
you know, kind of coming yeah. to terms with your gender identity. Um, could you talk a little bit about your work with art and trans kids? Yeah, sure. So, so as I said, I'm an artist, and one of the ways I got away from self harm was I started creating. That's that's how I, not knowingly, was doing art therapy back then. I didn't know, but that's how I did it. So, when I started this young art group, um, and we're, it was only a group to be like, you know, we weren't going to talk about gender identity only if somebody brought it up. So they like to play with Play-Doh. A lot of times we were doing, oh, Tony, can we play restaurant? And I just have to make pizzas and stuff. It was adorable. I mean, I'm working with kids that are, you know, five, six, seven years old. Nobody was doing this work, right? So they would come in. And one day, one of the kids who was typically happy came in and they were really sad. And I said, what's going on? And she says, I'm sad. And I said, how many of us have ever been sad? And we all raised our hand. And I said, what are you sad about? And this is a six-year-old trans girl. She says, I'm sad because it, it, it sucks the life out of me when I, when I can't be who I know I am. So I had construction paper on the table and I said, hey, why don't we all draw what, what makes us sad? And on the back, I want you to write down what your drawing means. And for the kids that couldn't write yet, I wrote it for them. But I'll tell you why art is important. These kids, they don't have words yet. And some adults, I'm telling you, even adults sometimes, and I ask them questions, we don't have words to describe our pain. We don't have words to describe even sometimes how we feel in, in a happy situation. So art is a really cool way of letting them on paper just explode, you know? And one of the things that came out, out of this art group very early on was a conversation between two trans girls. And this is when I knew, Emma, that I was going, I was doing the right thing. These two trans girls, six years old, we're sitting down, I was kind of eavesdropping, um, and their conversation went a little bit like this. Oh my God, I love your beret. I, oh my God, I love your beret and your, your skirt. I have the same one in pink. And they had such, sorry, they had such an excitement. I knew it was the first time ever that they were sharing that with another human. That was the first time these two little trans girls were able to share their excitement about their clothes that they were wearing with somebody. It was just a beautiful, beautiful moment that I will never forget. So it's moments like that, right, that I think back on when people question what I do, right? Um, what kind of, can you tell us a little bit more about the art? Like what kind of art do kids do? Um, how do they, you know, do you, do you take them into a studio? Do they just um, do art at home? Are they doing like collage? Yeah, yeah sure. So what, what, when I, when, before COVID, uh, we would do our groups in person and we would have um, our, well, it would be like our support group. And then every couple of groups, we would do an art project. So now with the third book, we're having people just do it at home. And I asked two questions for each book. So the first book, um, I thought it was really important that people understood uh, what, what body dysphoria felt like. So I asked them to draw what they felt body dysphoria felt like. So I would ask them all these questions about emotional questions, and then they would, they would draw the answer. And I would always put the young kids in with the teens, right? I, I always, and even when we had our groups in person, 15 minutes before the groups ended, I would take the, the art group and say, come on, let's go see the big kids. I wanted them to see their future, right? I wanted them to see that they had a future. So the art that they do is basically drawings. Um, in, the, in the art group that we haven't really been able to do since COVID, unfortunately, we have done some in-person events. We're having one in October 1st, which is great. And we'll do some art there. I think we're doing tie-dyeing or something. But they, they, in the art group, they would do like claymation and stuff like that with the facilitator. But the art group, we only talked about gender if it was brought up. You know, and sometimes it was, and sometimes I had to go in there to kind of coach the kid because, you know, they were being bullied at school or something like that. But the artwork is basically, we ask them a question, a hard question, and they draw the answer. Thank you. Um, I'd like to um, have a conversation for a few minutes about what's been going on uh, nationally and also in states. Uh, affecting trans kids. Um, so I'm going to bring up a couple of examples. One is, um, I know that you you probably already know in Florida, um, Governor, uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis recently um, helped to push a ruling that the Florida Surgeon General supported denying trans kids access to um, uh, any kind of transition-based medical care. 
uh, that included access to hormone blockers, um, it included access to therapy, it included access to any kind of gender <clears throat> transition related services for anyone who qualified for Medicaid. And so this didn't just apply to trans kids, this actually affected the entire community of transgender people who uses Medicaid in Florida. Um, in the state of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott um, several months ago uh, was successful in uh, getting the parents of transgender kids um, labeled as a potential, uh, potentially suspect of harm. Mm -hmm. And so um, this, this action has thrown Child Protective Services and the state of Texas into a state of chaos with over 2,000 resignations. Um, because there's a mandate now uh, requiring that um, Child Protective Services investigate the parents of trans kids in the state of Texas, which is one of the largest states in the country. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk about some of the, uh, there's been 26 states in the last two years where there's been legislation that has specifically targeted uh, either trans kids or the parents of trans kids or any kind of institutions which support trans kids. Um, not all of the legislation has passed, but some of it has. Um, in our own bordering state of Idaho, there's been attempts to try to take away the rights of trans kids. And in the South, there's been several legislative efforts that have been successful. Um, why, first of all, why is the right wing targeting trans kids. I mean, kids who are as young as five years old and, yeah. you know, they're, they're making these people like public enemy number one. Like, why is the Republican Party targeting trans kids? Yeah. And can you just talk about some of your feelings about what you've yeah. been seeing? Well, my feelings, I, the first thing I always want to say is shame on you. Shame on you for doing this. You know, all these states that are doing this. The, the civil rights of trans people have, let's just say it's a little bit of a mountain. We've been climbing that mountain and we've been being very successful, right? The only way they can try to push us down is to go for our most vulnerable and that's the kids, right? Because they're not, they're, they're not too successful with the adults. So what I, and, and I gotta be honest with you, Emma, when all this started, even though in Connecticut, Connecticut um, a few months ago announced that we're a safe haven for abortion, but we're also a safe haven for gender affirming care okay, for trans people. Pretty similar here in Oregon. Yeah, so, so which is great. I'm really happy about that. And we do have uh, two families from Texas that have actually moved, I, that I know of, that have moved to Connecticut. One moved to Glastonbury, I forgot where the other one moved to, which, I, which I'm really proud to be, to live in Connecticut. But back when I, when I transitioned, nobody would be standing up for the trans community. There are so many people now, organizations, corporations, that say, no, you know, this is not right. So I think that brings a lot of fear to the, to the people on the right. And so they're gonna go after our most vulnerable. And I'm gonna say this again, the people that are sitting here making these decisions, okay, don't sit with children in psych hospitals. They don't hear about the suicides that these kids are, do, are, 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 are doing. And this action to make um, access to healthcare unaccessible and the action to make it like child abuse charges if, if a parent supports their child, the suicide the suicide rate is going to jump. It's going to it's going to skyrocket. I've said this from the first moment I started working with these children. If you know if you if you give a child hope for a better life, they won't want to take their life. If you give them hope for a better life, they won't want to take their life. These states that are saying to them, "There's no hope for you. You're going to have to suffer." Why would they want to live? Why would they want to live? I wish I knew why they were doing it. It is a horrible thing that, that, that they're doing to the, these children and these families. I can't imagine, could you, can you imagine, because I can't imagine, being a parent and wanting to do the best you can for your child and knowing that medical intervention is needed and you can't do it because it's against the law that you're going to get a child. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. You know, I can't talk too much about the politics behind it because I don't know why any adult would want to put a child through so much suffering and pain. It really, it really angers me that they they stoop that they're stooping this low. Um, another 
area in which trans kids or maybe not trans kids specifically have been targeted, but the educational system more broadly has been targeted is through efforts to remove any kind of conversation within the public schools yeah. about gender identity, about sexual orientation. Uh, for instance, for, you know, people, uh, for kids in elementary school um, yeah. to like deny any kind of access to that sort of information. Uh, school boards have been doing this. Yeah. Florida passed the don't say gay law, which, um, you know, actually makes it a, a penalty. Uh, teachers can actually be fired if they talk about uh, gender identity or sexual orientation with their elementary school kids. Um, so have you encountered anyone who has denied you the opportunity to go and speak in a school because of these laws? And can you talk about um, why it's so important and so beneficial to actually go in and talk to kids, like yeah. especially in places where maybe people would like to deny you the, deny you the opportunity to do that? So we we at healthcare advocates since you know I've been I've been directing the program we've been training schools I, I I've been we, we we're training I'm training more schools in the past year and a half than I than, than I ever thought I would, and but we also offer um, to speak to students and you know we just booked a full middle school 300 kiddo um, assembly in the beginning of November where I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about love kindness diversity and inclusion. I think what people imagine, I don't know why they would imagine this, that if you go into an elementary school and you're talking to like first grade, kindergarten, first graders, that we're going to go in talking about trans and non-binary people. No, we're going to go in and we're going to talk to about, about things at third level, at third language. There's plenty of books now. Um, it's, it's, it feels good to be yourself. It's a, it's a really cool book. I just read it to a bunch of kids up in Cromwell, Connecticut at the library a few, a few weeks ago. Um, and it talks about pronouns in a really cool way, right? If, if we educate elementary school level children about diversity, and I've again said this for years, bullying would organically minimize. We bully against what we don't understand. So we have never been refused any to go into anywhere. I'm, what I'm even shocked at is that more schools are saying, please come in, please come in, educate. And the way, the way we structure the education for schools is the administrators have to be first. So every principal, assistant principal, superintendent, assistant superintendent, then we go to the educators, then we go to the paraprofessionals, staff, and then we talk to the students. So you gotta get everybody, you know, diversity happens, again, inclusion is a choice. They gotta choose, and they gotta choose to be inclusive. So we haven't been denied, but we also speak at the language level of the student that we're speaking to. What are some pretty common questions kids might have for you about transition about transgender issues uh, you know what, what are the what are some of the things they're curious about I think if you're if they're if it's coming from trans kids um, trans kids are always curious will I meet somebody will I be in a relationship will somebody love me in that way and that to me breaks my heart right and I'm like of course somebody's gonna love you but you know so so that that fear of you know will somebody love me will I be able will, will I get a job you know just things that other communities don't have to worry about, right? The trans community, a lot of times we're, 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 it's piled on because of who we are. Like these, these kids just can't say, okay, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go out to school. They have to worry about being bullied. They have to worry about, you know, even sometimes being physically assaulted, right? So that's, so, so the questions coming from the trans community youth would be about, is somebody gonna love me? Am I gonna, will I be able to become anything I wanna become? And of course, listen, the power is theirs. I always tell them, take your power back, create the person you wanna be, and let's let's do it, right? For kids who aren't trans, one of the biggest questions I get again is, you know, how about if they change their mind? Uh, maybe they're just kidding. Maybe, well, maybe they're not sure. And I just explained to it the same way I just explained it to you, that when somebody's born, da 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 right? When it when when I when it gets when I, when the questions come from educators, again they always say this. Well, how about if the kid comes in and uh, Monday they want to be called Tony, Tuesday they want to be called Sam, Thursday they want they always go to these scenarios, and I just say, has that ever happened? Well, no, but how long have you been teaching? Oh, about twenty years. It's not going to happen, <laughs> right? They always try to blow it up to, into this big big thing that's not going to happen. Sp speaking of big thing i mean 
kind of blowing things out of proportion yeah. or not really seeing things in context. Like when you go into schools and when you do work with trans kids, like what, like how many people are we talking about like within a population? Like say you go to a school and there's a few hundred students. I mean, are you coming to talk to like dozens of kids who all say they're trans or are you just talking to a few? I mean, how frequently do kids come out as either trans or they're kind of, you know, uh, curious about gender identity issues. Well, when we, when, we when we talk at schools, typically it's two groups. Either it's gonna be the full assembly, like it's like we're gonna do in November, where every middle schooler in that school is gonna be sitting in front of me. So that's about 300 kids. Or we go and talk to the diversity group. Now in the diversity group, there's LGBTQ plus kids and some kids who are cis, uh, cisgender and straight, you know, because it's just a diversity group. Um, but some kids, and you know, it's funny because a lot of times when we're training about inclusive classrooms, they're like, oh yeah, we know, we, you don't know everybody in your school that's trans. You don't, because a lot of kids and a lot of parents will have their kids go under the radar so that they don't have to worry about, you know, being dead named. They don't have to worry about the bathrooms that they're gonna use. There's so many things that these children have to worry about. And if, if, if these children, if a, if a student can't be 100% of who they are, how the heck do we expect them to give 100% of themselves? How do we expect, expect them to go into school and give 100% when they have to in the back of their mind sitting there saying, oh my God, I wonder if they're gonna call me Tony, what bathroom, I'm not gonna use a bathroom today because I'm afraid somebody's gonna yell at me. So there's a lot of things that come along with being out as a trans student versus having your kid go under the radar, right? So what are some of the harms that happen when kids are denied access to this information. Um, I mean, can you just talk a little bit about the harms that trans kids face when they're not able to actually, you know, um, explore and learn about their gender identity at such a formative age of life? Yeah. So, you know, the Trevor Project came out with statistics, uh, 2021, the latest statistics about mental health and suicide and stuff like that the numbers never go down, Emma. The numbers of um, depression, suicidal uh, attempt, suicide attempts, um, and suicides, they don't go down. They need to know that they can be who they know they are. Again, if they don't know that, they're gonna be part of a statistic. They're gonna, they're gonna start self, they're gonna get depressed, have anxiety, they're, they're, they're gonna isolate, they're, they're, they're gonna self-harm most likely, because you know, in, that, in that survey, it said 60%, and there was 35,000 LGBTQ youth between the ages of 13 and 24 that were surveyed, 60% of trans and non-binary kids said they 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 self they, they perform self-harm. I think that's higher, and I'll tell you why. The definition of self-harm is when you purposely hurt yourself. So it could be punching yourself in the face, pulling your hair, or whatever. But a lot of people, when we say, do you self-harm, they think about cutting. Okay. I can tell you that the kids that I've worked with throughout these years, 15 years that I've been doing this work, I'd have to say more over about 95% have cut at least once. Why would we want to put a child through that pain in, instead of having them go through that pain, just educate them. And the, the best way to educate them is through school so that they know or families, right? Like the pronouns a big deal. They don't understand. I just was watching this board of ed meeting in a very local town here on um, which I just, um, kindly email the superintendent to see if we can come in and help them out. There were parents standing there, grown grown people saying, oh, why are they asking my kid about their pronoun? Um, my kid's gonna identify as an airplane tomorrow. And all these people started laughing. Like it was a big joke about pronouns in, in, for, for a student. Then they don't know that the statistics that, that um, Trevor Projects just came out with. Again, if you don't know that over 50% attempt suicide, attempt suicide. And if you didn't know that the, the statistics also showed that one supportive adult, one supporting adult in an LGBTQ youth's life cuts the chance of them to commit suicide by 40%, 40% Emma, that's a big number, one person. And it could be that, student, that, that, that teacher in a classroom. It could be a health provider. It could be me or you. I am that one person a lot for kids. And I know it works. I know when I'm walking into a situation when a kid just tried to kill themselves and I go into this hospital and I'm, it just happened. 
not with the 11 year old, it was a 17 year old, just went in there. This kid was mute, selectively mute, didn't talk to anybody. Uh, they call me in. I sit with this kid and I said to him, very hard life, really hard life. Doesn't even live with their parents. They, they, he lives with his great grandparents. And I looked at him and I said, pick your head up and take your power back. I'm on your team now. You got me. I'm your older, 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 older brother. Okay. And I'm going to help you through this. In six months, six months, which is not a long time, I feel, he's back at school. They can't shut him up at home. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, right? He he had his first, he's on testosterone. That's what he needed. And he's and, and we got him a, a, a surgeon that he's going to consult with for top surgery. How did this child go from isolating self-harm and suicidal thoughts and not speaking to anyone, okay, to being the kid he is six months later is because I believed in him. That's the, that's, that's, that's the answer. He had that one person to say, listen, dude, I've been there. I believe in you. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Take your power back. Take your power back. It's powerful stuff. Thanks. Um, what about trans kids in sports? Do you get a lot of questions about that? Do you encounter that issue? That's oh, yeah. One of the areas where there have been a lot of attempts by state legislatures to limit uh, the rights of trans kids. Yeah. So I have some stuff to say about it. In Connecticut, uh, I think last year or the year before, there was people who were trying to stop two uh, Black trans girls from competing in track. Okay. Uh, President Trump at the time, um, Betsy DeVos said to our governor here in Connecticut, hey, listen, if you don't stop supporting those athletes, we're taking away all your funding. And our governor said, keep your money. We're supporting our students. Love Ted, Ted Lamont, love. But here's what people don't understand. And maybe people don't think about this. There are hundreds and thousands of trans and non-binary athletes in schools in the country participating in sex segregated sports according to their gender identity. The only time, the only time we hear it's an issue is when they're winning. We don't hear about, say, the trans boy who's on the basketball team who might not be a starter and just, they don't care that they're trans. We don't care about the trans people on the track team that aren't coming in number one. They don't care, right? They're okay to be on the team. It's only when they're winning. And, and to me, that, that's an issue. Thank you. Um, earlier, you were talking about when you go in and talk to kids, like uh, gender diverse groups uh, within the school as one of the two groups. Um, you know, at, um, in high school here in Oregon, and I think about the country, there's a lot of GSAs. Yeah. Um, how do trans, how do kids, this is a question about all kids, but how do okay. kids who are in the GSAs and the diverse groups, how do they navigate the complicated conversations around gender identity and sexual orientation? Uh, because nowadays kids can be, you know, you might be trans, you might be gender queer, you might be gender fluid, yeah. you might be non-binary, you might be gay, you might be lesbian, you might be bisexual, or you might be straight. How do kids, I mean, when I was growing up, we weren't taught any of this. <laughs> I mean, I had to discover it on my own. Yeah. I'm not sure what it was like for you, but how do kids nowadays navigate these conversations? You know, they, yeah, they, they navigate them through social media, through through everything. But I'll tell you, the way they open up in, 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 a, in a discussion with me is that I come out with the energy that I think is super freaking cool no matter who you are. The, the way I feel, the reason why I can, they can have these hard conversations when I'm there and even when I'm outside is there is because I give them the energy that I'm so excited about them creating themselves. Listen, I think it's awesome to be any human, no matter what age you are, to really sit with yourself and say, what, who am I? Who am I? What do I wanna be, right? And create it and create it with kindness because kindness is key. Kindness is key. And, and what I'm personally working on, and I have no problem sharing, is I am personally working on with my therapist is how am I, how can I be as kind to myself as I am to other people? Through my words, through my actions. How can I do that for myself? A lot of people aren't as kind to themselves as they are to other people. So when I sit with these diversity groups and I talk about kindness and I talk about how 
it's a boomerang effect that when you're kinder to yourself, you're kinder to others. When you're kinder to others, you're kinder to yourself. Be kind to the people who are not kind to you. That's super powerful, right? When you get kickback from being who you are, just stand there and with a smile and say, well, I'm sorry, you don't understand who I am, but this is who I am and you walk away, right? Not having that conflict. So the GSAs, that I'm, they, they do a lot of social media stuff, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that I probably don't even know exist that they're tapping into. But the groups are the groups are awesome, and and one of the um, diversity group advisors shared with me that I I tell a story when I talk to them about you know I was homeless at a very short time in my life years ago, and I was walking into the supermarket, a local super, supermarket, and there was this woman sitting on one of the carriages like up uh, on its side, and she said to me, "Excuse me, sir, do you have any money?" But I I said, "No, but are you hungry?" And she says, yeah. I said, well, I'll get you anything you want. She goes, oh, they have fried chicken in there. I said, I'll get you fried chicken. So I go in there, I get her fried chicken, a couple of sandwiches. Remember, I'm Italian. I had to hook her up. And I got her like two, two bags of food and water and juices and stuff like that. And I took a $20 bill out when I checked out. I give her the, the food and I look her in the eyes. And I say, ma'am, it's my, it's my honor to help you out. Because I might be the only person to look in her eyes that day. I give her the food and I go to hand her the 20 a guy walks by and says, you know what you're going to do with that, don't you? Now, <laughs> older Tony, Tony way back when would not have handled that very well. I probably would have ran after that guy and just dropped every F-bomb in the world, right? Tony that has healed, I said, excuse me, I situationally lied. And I said, excuse me, sir, I didn't hear what you said. And I walked away from her and I walked towards him and he says, you know what she's going to do with that? She's going to go to that package store, liquor store, and she's going to buy a bottle of booze. That's what she's going to do. And I said, well, I don't know if you've seen what I gave her. I gave her a 20. Did you expect her to get an apartment with it? I mean, and I said to him, have you ever been homeless? And his answer was pretty weird for me. He said, of course not. I said, okay. I said, well, I have. And if a bottle of booze is going to get that poor woman through the night, it's my honor to give it to her. My honor. He so said, just, yeah, so so, so he was like, oh, now listen, will he be flipping bills to the homeless? Probably not. But I shifted him. And the reason why I shifted him is because I was kind about it, right? So kindness is, is really key. So when I tell that story at this GSA, GSA advisor met, met him at a conference a few months ago. He says, Tony, I got to tell you something. That story hit those kids really hard when they go in downtown New Haven and they buy lunch, they buy an extra hamburger or a sandwich and they give it to a homeless person. That is what the work is about. Isn't that amazing? That's what the work is about. So Tony, we've only got a few minutes left. And um, with the last few minutes, I'd just like to talk about your work a little bit. Yeah. Um, earlier in the conversation, when we were chatting before the show, you told me about the uh, Jim Collins Foundation. Can you? Yeah, sure. So the Jim Collins Foundation was founded by myself and my friend Drew Leviser in 2008. Uh, we fund surgeries for the trans and non-binary communities. Uh, I believe we've probably funded close to 40 surgeries since then. I sat on the board as the board president for 10 years, and Drew sat as the vice president for 10 years, and we gave it to our community about six years ago, um, which is great, and it's still running, running very, very strong. So the Jim Collins Foundation, jimcollinsfoundation.org, um, is a really cool um, organization. If you need support that you can fill out an application right online. Oh, that's amazing. Um, how, I mean, if people are interested in um, getting that kind of surgery, what do they need to qualify for? Well, for it's, it's, it's all by financial need. So, you know, if like, I remember early on getting somebody to say to me, oh, you know what? I, I, I can't, I don't, I don't want a second mortgage my house. Well, th we're, you're not going to get it. We are funding people who have no money. People who are in, you know, if, if you have a no income to low income and you and you need top you need any type of surgery, any gender affirming surgery, go to the website and fill out an application and fingers crossed because hopefully you'll get what you need. Great, thank you. Um you've also written um a couple of books. Can you tell us again about some of your books that you've written? Yeah, sure. So Artistic Expressions of Transgender Youth, Volume One and Two, available on Amazon. Uh they have the pictures, the first the first um Volume is what does biodysphoria feel like? And if you had all the money in the world, what would you buy first? Because there's always a hard question and then a kind of nice question. The second one is what, what makes you sad 
and what do you want to be when you grow up? And the third one is going to be, what does it feel like to be misgendered and what are you grateful for? I'm also working on my memoir that should be coming out next next year, so next fall. Um, and that's going to be exciting. It doesn't have a title yet, but uh, the publisher is really excited about that. And so am I. And then you also do um, a lot of public speaking and motivational speaking. Um, can you just talk about uh, that a little bit? Where, where do you go to speak and um, how can people find out more about that? Yeah, sure. So there's two places they can find out more about like what I do. If, if it's, you know, the uh, healthcareadvocateinternational.com is our website that they can link to the uh, youth and family program. And then I also have my own website, uh, tonyferriola.com which they can look and they can look at the books and, 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 and everything else that I do. There's also a documentary, A Self-Made Man. That's our 10 year anniversary is next year. I can't believe it's 10 years. So we'll be doing a big event in uh, Connecticut in June, um, June 10th it is uh, of next year. And what else? Oh, there's a, um, I hosted a TV show that's now streaming on Hulu again called Transitioning. So if you have Hulu, check it out. And I'm in talks with the producers to actually bring that TV show back. And that's me coaching um, trans people through their transition and struggles with their families. Oh, that's so much fun. I didn't know, I didn't know you did the TV show. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> yeah, great. So uh, Tony, what do you think the future looks like for trans kids? I think the future for trans kids could be a good future if we all, the people, the people who don't feel the same way as Florida and Texas, that we let them know that. Again, one person, right? How about, how about millions of people saying to these kids, we believe you, we see you, we're gonna help you, right? Giving them that hope for a better better future. Letting them know that it's a, you're trans, so what? What else, what? that's why I say to kids, okay, you're trans, great. But what else do you do you love? What else do you want to do? What 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 else is there about you? Hoping that being trans to them is like me being Italian, right? I don't really remember I'm Italian until I see a cannoli or something, right? So so to get that trans identify identity away from the front of them so they can move forward, right? So that's not the only thing they think about. And the only way they're not gonna think about it is if we give them what they need to transition. Great. Well, um, so Tony, one last time, if people want to connect with you, what's what's your website again? Uh, TonyFiriolo.com. And how do you spell that? Uh, T-O-N-Y-F-E-R-R-A-I-O-L-O. -O. Great. Thank you. Um, so we've been talking tonight with uh, motivational speaker and trans advocate, Tony Feriolo. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on Trans Positive. Oh, my God. It's my honor. Thank you so much for having me. Great, thanks so much and have a great night. You too. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than 2 million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of DC, or Nebraska, or Maine, or Idaho, or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture, todas culturas, throughout human history. And while we're more visible than ever before, sometimes you just don't see us. 
So when you hear about politicians pushing forward discriminatory bills, know this, these bills address problems that aren't even real. Problems that don't actually exist. But we do. 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 And we need your support. Supported Community Radio, KBOO Portland. KBOO's Slavic Community Hour is looking for new collective members. The Slavic Community Hour is an interactive news, talk, and music program focused on Portland's Ukrainian and Russian community. No experience is required, just an enthusiasm for Slavic culture and a desire to learn. If you speak Ukrainian or Russian and have an interest in community radio, please reach out to program at kboo.org to learn more. That's program at kboo.org. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available on our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, 